AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song? Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 Plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to episode 200 of the Bobbycast. I talked to talk to Ken Burns, who is a, a crazy famous documentary maker. And I was going to bring Eddie in on this, but Eddie wasn't able to get here in time. Wait, I'm sorry you missed it because it's really good. I, I'm a big fan of Ken Burns. Like, yeah. it's so cool. We were talking about it because we were on the road this weekend. What, what else have you seen of his? I've seen the World War II one that he did. And How many hours is that one? Oh, they're all long. I mean, gosh, I, I, I never saw, I think I saw it when it was airing on PBS. So it, was, it felt like a month long. And I saw the Civil War one and I saw the baseball one. You watch all of them in their entirety? Oh, yeah. They're really cool, man. I mean, wow. there, there's no shortage of information on his documentaries. I was reading a story about Ken Burns, who is coming up in just a second, where Apple named, like, uh, like an app after him? Or was it's it, Mike? The effect. The Ken Burns effect. Okay, so they, they and he was like, I don't want to hop on with a product because I don't do endorsements. But then Steve Jobs said, okay, we'll make you a deal. Let's We'll have it the Ken Burns effect, but we'll donate all this equipment to... Like a school or some project, right? And yeah, they, Apple equipment. Yeah. And he agreed to do it. Oh, cool. So he didn't take any money, but they, but I, and what the effect is, is that he zooms in and out to, out of pictures. Correct. I didn't know that until Eddie was telling me about it. Cause Eddie, how far are you into the documentary? Um, I'm hour five. Hour, okay. So I just finished hour 16. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm behind you. And sure. it gets so good. And I hate to call it a 16 hour documentary because it's mostly a series. Yeah. It's like, it's like a docu-series. It'd be like watching Netflix. And I make the, the thing here to talk to Ken. I was like, hey, First, I was like, 16 hours, but then I've been shows more than that. Um, it starts, if you're hearing this, it comes. we're putting this out on Sunday. It starts tonight. So if you're hearing this, it's out. Go to pbs.org, and you can also watch it on the app, or you can watch it on PBS, but it's called Country Music. And you like it? Oh, I love it. So far, I just I love every minute of it. So so much good information. I mean, it's it's 
the pictures are so cool to see, and yeah, it's great. And it gets better as it goes. I talked to Ken coming up about cry- I cried in the final episode. Wow. About and, something they showed. And do you tell him this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. He's so smart. Here we go. This is Ken Burns, episode 200. Eddie, I'm excited for you to hear this. You haven't heard it yet. Uh, for you. you should not listen back till you finish it, okay. Eddie. Everybody else should listen, and then hopefully it makes you go watch it. Okay. Because it's so good. Here's episode 200, Ken Burns, uh, talking about his documentary, Country Music, here on the Bobbycast. Hey, Ken. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm great. How are you doing? Hey, I'm real good. It's been, uh, I feel like we've been missing each other. Like, yeah. you would come around and do some press, and I would be gone, and I would be here. and Yeah. You, uh, so it, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And It's my pleasure. I really wanted to finish the whole thing before I talked to you, too. Yeah. And I did. Like, I finished. I've been on the road. I've been touring well, the last maybe, few days. Maybe that's what, what the whole thing was about. But I, I just finished, like, the 16th hour. I finished the last one. And uh, it was, I'm going to be honest, I thought, that's a, such a daunting 16-hour documentary. But then I thought... I binge the dumbest shows that are over 16 hours sometimes. So I just kind of looked at it as a pen, and I loved it. I mean, it was, it was so good. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Thank you. Well, then let me just start, because I made so many notes, because I, I love country music. I'm from Arkansas, and so, you know, I grew up with, with 90s country being my thing. So the last episodes really were like speaking of my childhood a lot. Yep. And so I may kind of bounce around a little bit if you're okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Okay. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's great. Well, then let's start with, because something that I didn't know is where the term hillbilly came from as far as hillbilly music. Because yeah. being called a hillbilly myself for most of my life, I, it had always been something that, and I think Dolly said it in the documentary, that whenever other hillbillies called you that, it wasn't an insult. But right. when, when people who weren't called you that, it was an insult. It's fighting words, yeah. Yeah, but hillbilly, talk about that for a second and, and how the... Well, I, I think the original thing is originally kind of like, uh, there's a wonder in the 1920s if there's a market for this old-time hill country music, right? Which would be, at that point, southern Appalachian string band music, you know? And uh, at one point, they were struggling for a name that was a little bit less than a mouthful. And one of the performers says, just call, call us hillbillies, because that's all we are. And it was self-named, but of course, you're exactly right. Not dissimilar to, not exactly like, but not dissimilar to the, uh, the N-word. Uh, it, it cannot really be used um, by outsiders because them's fighting words. But it's, it's used in some ways as a, a badge of respect, you know, because the story of country music is the story of the downtrodden. It's the story of the people who work hard for a living and understand that the playing field isn't always level. This is black and white. It's the people who built America, and they're the combination of their common music, you know, the banjo comes from Africa and the fiddle from the British Isles in Europe. Their common music is country music. Their common music is rhythm and blues, the blues, jazz, all of these different utterly American forms, country. Um, so our, our series is an attempt to sort of help tell the stories of the people who often feel like their stories aren't being told, and that's at the heart of country music and, in a way, at the heart of, uh, of essentially derogatory name, Hillbillies, that, that is also a badge of honor for those who wear it. You know, Dolly's absolutely right. Yeah, you, it's interesting that, um, that the music was called Hillbilly Music for such a long time, meaning it was just the genre of music. 
Right. Before it, it flipped and it was country and western. Right. It, it was the genre was literally hillbilly. I had no idea. And yeah. you know, something that I, I found fascinating was it goes from hillbilly to country and western right around yes. the time race music goes to rhythm and blues, right? It was like That's a chart correct. switch, right? That's correct. It's a little bit earlier for rhythm and blues, but 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 essentially the same time. And and what you've got is the the assumption, and I don't know why it happens, is the presumption that only black people le- listen to rhythm and blues, and only white people listen to country music. Never was the case. And there's lots of cross uh, pollinization, cross fertilization between it. You know, country music is not an island nation where you need a passport or a visa to get in. It's uh, a budding jazz, it's a budding blues, it's a, a budding rhythm and blues, it's a budding country, I mean folk, and and it is one of the parents with R&B of rock, and of course it's still a budding pop, and even rap and and, and classical, so you've got, it's, it's always connected to all the other forms, and the borders are porous, and it's seeking to, to be lots of different things. So after it starts off with the Carter family and, and Jimmy Rogers, who themselves are different from one another and within themselves an amalgam of different influences, it goes after cowboy music, it, it has western swing, it has bluegrass, it has the Nashville sound, it has the Bakersfield sound in reaction to the Nashville sound, it has country politan, it has the outlaws, it has, uh, you know, every single thing. So not only was it never one thing, but it's constantly added new things to its story to make it omnivorous and a, and a, and a big, mighty, flowing river with lots of tributaries. You know, as the music is classified, first it's hillbilly, then it's country and western, and then the CMA comes in, and if I'm right, they ask to take the western off of country and western and just make it country music. What was just behind that? Country. Well, I, I think it was an attempt to simplify and to say that in many ways the Western swing craze that was itself a reaction to the big band swing, which was born in Harlem with uh, Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong and Chick Webb and, and uh, Fletcher Henderson and others, and the cowboy craze were long gone. And so while there's Western tendencies, the, the Bakersfield sound is is more related to kind of the hard-driving honky of the earlier era of uh, Hank uh, Williams and, and others, um, it, it was time to just sort of simplify to, to end that confusion. It's very funny because I've had lots of friends and, and people who all through the eight and a half years of production, they would say, you know, how, how's it going on that country and western thing? And I'd say, country? And they go, <laughs> yeah. And then the next sentence they'd say, your country and western. And it's okay because it is so many different genres. It helps, you know, convenience and commerce wants to categorize everything. You know, we live in a huge world with a tsunami of information breaking like a tidal wave over our heads. And, you know, to organize stuff, to categorize stuff seems good, but what happens when you do that is more often than not, you're left with a kind of superficial definition of it. Oh, well, country music's, you know, not not as important as these other important musical forms. Oh, country music's just about good old boys and pickup trucks and hound dogs and six packs of beer. And, and there are a lot of songs that are like that, and it's an honorable part of, of the country music tradition. But most of what country music is is addressing really universal human emotions, and it's doing it 
elegantly. I mean, Harlan Howard said three chords in the truth. He was saying, you know, it isn't as sophisticated as classical. It isn't as complicated as classical and some forms of jazz. You can hear the lyrics, but that truth part, it's right, it's kind of right straight to the heart, you know. Um, things like categories like two four-letter words that we have a hard time dealing with, love and loss. That's what this is about, you know. You hear that lonesome whippoorwill? He sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I can cry. I mean, there's nobody on the planet that doesn't, hasn't at least experienced for one second exactly what Hank Williams was talking about. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. And as I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome I could cry. Now, you don't need any translation for that. You know, you talk about Hank Williams, and he was a, a, a big part of, of the series. And I'm going to ask you to somewhat quantify uh, when it comes to who do you think has been country music's biggest star? Now, I know you're comparing generations, and, and just like in baseball, it's hard to compare, you know, yeah. Barry Bonds to Mickey Mantle because the... the yeah. The, well, but, I mean, if you, if you were going to say biggest star, you would say, at least in the period that we do coming up to the end of the millennium, you know, we've got, we sort of stop in 96 with the height of Garth's popularity and Bill Monroe's death, and then in our last chapter go and kind of put a period on it period on things by following the last years, the productive, the surprisingly productive last years of Johnny Cash. So you would have to say in terms of album sales and things like that, Garth Brooks, but he'd be the first to say that he stands on the shoulders of giants, and those giants would be Kenny Rogers, uh, I mean, Kenny, I'm sorry, Jimmy Rogers, and uh, Hank Williams, uh, Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson, you know, Chris Christopherson, people who have just had a stunning, stunning uh, career as singer-songwriters. I really thought Marty Stewart was a real star of the entire series. He is, and, and, and you're, you're very astute to catch that, um, and the reason is very simple. He loves this. Nobody loves this music better than Marty, and nobody in a way knows it better than Marty. You know, he he's, um, comes up as a little boy, as a prodigy, uh, with Earl Scruggs, and he plays with Johnny Cash. He's basically, as he says, the only two employers I had, and he's been on his own, but he's always been keenly aware of the history of it. So he's saved everything. He's got that telegram announcing the death of Jimmy Rogers at way too young an age in, in a hotel room in New York City from tuberculosis. He's got um, this jacket and that piece of sheet music and that photograph and that, that uh, uniform, that costume. And, and he loves the music, and he's also one of the greatest uh, mandolin players ever. Uh, he's a right up there with Bill Monroe for his picking ability, and he loves the music. And, you know, as often happens, as, as, a, as an art from grows, it's always trying to expand and go in new places. And as it does that, there are people who say, wait, 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 you're getting too far from our tradition. And then there are people saying, if you stay in your tradition too long, you get stuck and you get formulaic. So that tension is a wonderful artistic tension. But sometimes you find people who are absolutely certain that the Nashville sound is terrible. Well, the Nashville sound also produced Crazy, you know, which is the number one jukebox tune of all time. The Countrypolitan produced He Stopped Loving Her Today, which many people believe is the greatest country song of all time by George Jones or sung by George Jones. 
And yet they're going to hold on to some tradition, which is super important, too. Marty's able to straddle both, and he does it with good humor and generosity so that the tendency for us to start turf wars in any art form, certainly true in jazz, certainly true in rhythm and blues, certainly true in country, he just, they melt away in the face of his generosity and his love for all the manifestations of country music, and that makes him the great ambassador, the great sort of historian of of the genre. You know, when we started off, we presumed, as we do in so many other films, we're going to have lots of historians and lots of critics and things like that. We have 101 interviews. There's one historian, and that's Bill Malone, who you think has got to be playing an instrument and has got to going to break into song at any moment. And everybody else are are from the country, not just Marty, but Roseanne Cash, not just Roseanne and Marty, but Catch Secor and Rhiannon Giddens and and Merle Haggard, who we were so fortunate enough to get to film before he passed away. You know, first insisting before he tells his story that he wants us to understand how important Jimmy Rogers are or how important the Maddox brothers and Rose are. And the same with Willie. Willie's saying, yeah, I'll talk to you, but you need to actually care deeply about Ernest Tubb, and you need to follow this, and you need to follow that, uh, Gene Autry, whatever it might be. And so what you have is a lot of young people like Ketch and, and Rhiannon and a lot of older titans like Willie's still alive, but also Merle who understand the history, and then you've got Roseanne and Marty who've lived it all. You know, she's the daughter of, of, of arguably the greatest of them all, the person who stands out more than anyone else, Johnny Cash. You know, you bring up Willie. I'm such a, a big Willie Nelson fan. When I was doing, you know, pop and hip-hop, I had Willie Nelson on my show. I was always bringing country artists into even that show before I came over and, you know, kind of sat in, in the country spot full-time. And, you know, Willie... The early Willie, because I don't know Willie other than being old. You know, I was right. bo- I was born in the '80s, so I don't know this turtleneck Willie. I don't know yep. the Willie that came to the Nehru jacket Willie. Yeah. D- that guy to me is so foreign, and I'm watching, and, and his his beginnings are, are are so interesting because he moves to Nashville basically as a songwriter, and just he didn't make it here. He was trying. He made it as a songwriter. I mean, he was broke, and he sometimes sold. Um, you know, mistakenly, his the rights to his songs for a couple hundred bucks, and they go on and sell 30 million copies. And finally, Farron Young said, "Stop! Uh, you know, I'll lend you the money you need, but do not sell this." And then, of course, when Willie starts receiving these great checks, he he goes down to Tootsie's or finds out where Farron is and plants him a big wet one on the on the on the lips. And and Farron Young said, "That's the best I've ever been killed, kissed in my life." But no, he comes from a tradition in which his Phrasing is more jazz than it is what we'd call country, and um, it's uh, it's pretty interesting that he struggles for a long time. He can write crazy, and it's a big hit for Patsy Cline. In fact, it's the number one jukebox single of all time. But he's going to struggle, and at one point, drunk at Tootsie's, he goes out in the middle of Broadway and lies down, expecting to be run over by a car. Wakes up, nobody's run over him, <laughs> and uh, you know, eventually packs his bag and heads back to Austin, where he can be himself and who we are, you know, uh, who he is and who we know he is, and and that's it's a great thing. But some, you know, 
and he says to Waylon, don't go. It's going to rob your soul. He get, uh, Waylon goes, and he said, I'm going to do this on my own terms. And that's where the whole outlaw movement uh, happens. And he, he does uh, change the way things are done in Nashville, from where you can record to how, what kind of control you have to naming of the musician, musicians in your, in your album. I mean, it's, a, it's a, just a phenomenal story of unbelievable individuals, most of whom came out of stultifying poverty. And because they had these traumas and these privations of their youth, they were able to um, rise through them and dream and make music that helps the rest of us dream, even if the rest of us can't necessarily get to the heights that they've gotten to, because they're still expressing these essential human things about the joy of birth, the sadness at death, the broken heart, anger, jealousy, you know, look what my old lady did to me, look what I did to my old lady, getting right with God. These are all the lists of things that Wynton Marsalis, the the jazz great, says country music addresses so perfectly. It's all about human stories. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This documentary is so good. Can that at times, as I'm just watching it because I am just such a country music like lifetime fan, I start to pull out my phone before I knew we were going to talk 
and I would just jot down things to talk about on my radio show or to my friends. And I have some of these notes, and I would just like to bring them up to you and, and kind of hear you know, your thoughts on this. And I'll start with Johnny Cash when I walked the line. It was about staying straight to his wife. Yeah. Was, and, and to me, I thought that was so interesting, and, and I'll talk about why on the other side. But um, talk about that for a second. I walked the line was about I'm literally going to walk the line because so, I'm, the, I'm on the road. So we think about Johnny's personal life. We think about his love affair with June Carter and then her insisting that he gets straight from his pill and alcohol addictions before she'll marry him, and then he does, and she marries him, and uh, they live happily ever after. But we forget that Johnny Cash had... A first wife. We've discovered, you know, rare and never before seen home movies. Um, he had daughters, including Roseanne, and this first wife, Vivian. They were so in love, as you can see from this footage. And then, of course, the life of the road has its many temptations. Um, not just women, but of course, how do you stay up uh, to drive from here to there and put on three concerts and then drive from there to here? Um, and the answer is alcohol, and the answer is pills, and, and that becomes a great demon, but at the same time is an unfaithfulness. So while he was singing I Walk the Line for Vivian, uh, eventually he wasn't, and particularly with uh, uh, June Carter, the middle uh, daughter of um, Maybell Carter. You know, and we talk about June in Ring of Fire, which June's sister wrote, but June sang right. background vocals on, and Johnny Cash's current wife hated that song because June was yeah. on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and it didn't really do anywhere, go anywhere until Johnny sang it. And a lot of it has to do with how perfect the lyrics are, not just to the story you and I are discussing, but I think to his extraordinary voice and and uh, unforgettable voice and and the and the sincerity that inhabits the, the story, the anguish that inhabits the story. I mean, that's sort of like George Jones or or uh, Patsy Cline. You sort of feel when they're singing a song, as Trisha uh, Yearwood says in our film about Patsy Cline's crazy, like she's in the room with you, and that you've married the perfect song with the perfect voice, and something magical happens. And I think our history here, filled with dozens and dozens of biographies, and you meet even more people, um, is really about the magic of those stories, because they combine the magic of music. Um, in the beginning, in the opening of the film, Merle Haggard says, it's about things we believe in and can't see, like dreams and songs and souls. And I can't think of a better response. You know, Winton Marsalis later on in the film says that music is the art of the invisible. And if you think about it, it's the only art form that you can't see. But it works so quickly. And when you do have that perfect song, when you do have that perfect lyric, man, it's, you know, as Charlie Pride says in the intro, I believe there's a country song for every mood you're in. It might make you cry, but it'll make you feel better for crying. So I, I just think that's, that's what the whole thing is about, the things that we believe in and can't see, like dreams and souls. You know, I cried today as I was watching the very last episode yeah. with Vince Gill is singing yep. at George Jones' funeral. Can't get through it. I, and he, he can't get through it. And I, I, I had tears running down my face sitting on my couch, you know, on a Sunday, uh, w watching a documentary as I'm trying to learn. I mean, it's a really touching moment. 
it is a perfect country moment, and I think there's at least one or two in every episode, and certainly in episode eight, there's probably five or six of those moments where you just have to succumb to the human drama. Here is Vince, who's written this beautiful song, but it's taken him a long time to write it. It's first inspired by the death of his friend Keith Whitley to alcoholism at a way too young age. I mean, everybody dies young if it's alcohol-related. And... Um, and then when his own brother dies, he picks up the film, uh, picks up the tune again and starts um, uh, writing it again. And, and it becomes this great standard, go rest high on that mountain. And then, of course, Vince, one of the great human beings of all time in this business, in a business filled with great human beings, he might stand out as, as, as one of the best of that crop. Um, he's beloved by everybody. George Jones calls him Sweet Pea. And when George dies uh, at his memorial service at the Opry, um, Vince can't get through it. He's overcome with emotion. And Patty Loveless is there trying to help him. Everybody in the audience is weeping. And uh, it's a telling, telling moment because I think this is the proof that it exposes essential human emotions that we all feel. And a good country song, as Charlie Pride says, you know, might make you cry, but you'll feel better for crying. In fact, a woman came up to me who'd seen the whole thing. I guess she'd gotten a press screen or something. She said, I had four good cries in episode eight. I was totally cleansed, and it's cheaper than therapy. In <laughs> fact, it's free. And I, I just thought, okay, you know, maybe we all need a good cry. And, and I, I, you know, someone else says in the film, we're all in this together. And I, I realize that I've spent my professional life um, operating in the space between the two-letter, lowercase, plural pronoun, us, uh, and its capitalized uh, version, the U.S., and that all of my films exist there, and none exists more intimately than I think the country music story does. Uh, not the Civil War, not Vietnam, not World War II, not the National Parks, not the Roosevelts, not the smaller biographies and films on Prohibition and the Dust Bowl and things like that. But it's this one because it's going after exactly that element of human emotion. None of us get out of here alive. And so we need this music. We need these songs to say, it's okay. You can get through this. Uh, it's going to be all right. It's, it's going to be all right. And thank God we have all this stuff. You know, the fact that, that none of the, the, this music, any of it, is ever one thing. It's always a mixture. Jimmy Rogers, a mixture of the, the blues that he hears from the black railroad crews that he's a water boy for in southern Mississippi, but he's added to the blues. He's added a yodel. He knows hillbilly, so-called hillbilly music. He knows gospel. And over on the other side of the, of the divide, he's definitely Saturday night. The Sunday morning are the Carter family, and they know, you know, they're, they're talking about the church and mother and home and family. And yet, in addition to their Appalachian string band tradition, they've got a black song catcher, Leslie Riddle, who travels with A.P. Carter catching songs. And there's a great old African-American gospel stomp called When the World's on Fire, which the Carter family loves that that melody. And they turn it into, they keep the melody, lose the lyrics, and they turn it into their big hit, Little Darlin' Pal of Mine, Woody Guthrie hears that, keeps the melody, and writes, this land is your land. So everything is an alloy. And remember, an alloy is, is a combination of elements that is stronger 
by virtue of it, the fact that it's a combination. And so, you know, we're so deeply divided today. And, and right there in country music, right there in the, in the great art of country music, is the reminder that there's no them. There's only us in that U.S. and us equation. Because we're, we're all 99.99% the same. And the differences don't imagine much. And it's a two-way street. You know, not only did A.P. Carter have an African-American mentor, that so did Bill Monroe and so did um, Hank Williams. He said that uh, Rufus T. Tot Payne taught it, had, gave him all the musical education he needed. And Johnny Cash, of course, had Gus Cannon. But, but when Ray Charles was given creative control of an album for the very first time in his career, he shocked his own people by coming out with modern sounds in country and Western music. And the number one hit, the joyous number one hit of the summer of 1962, was I Can't Stop Loving You, a Don Gibson song, a country song. And you go listen to that. It's definitely a soul singer, definitely an R&B singer, but he's singing country. And he's got Hank, hey, Hank Williams' Hey Good Looking in there, too. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful album. And it just shows you that it's a, it's a two-way street. And, and now we're talking about Little Nas X. And, you know, there's, there's, it's so wide open and it's so welcoming and it's so colorful that it, it just invites participation. And I hope that people who look at it begin to realize that it's only politicians that turn it us against them. There is no them. There's only us. You know, we only have a few minutes left, but a few things that I really uh, wanted to bring up was I didn't know the Randy Travis story where, like, his, the, the, the club manager that was, like, vouched for him was like, Let's, I'm going to keep him out of trouble and came to Nashville with him. Yeah, um, Lib Hatcher. It's, it, I think you bring up something that I don't think I've talked about at all on the road promoting this thing, and that's the kindness between people. You know, Mel Tillis had a stutter, but he didn't stutter when he sang. So his teachers took him around to the other grades and let him sing and give him confidence. Uh, you know, uh, Brenda Lee was a child prodigy, and her teachers let her put her head down on the desk and sleep when she needed to. Um, there's, there's always somebody who's willing to do that favor, to buy that song, to lend you that money, to give you that break, to let you sit on, on the session, to, to do something, to lend you a song, that you begin to realize this is a family story, a big, big American family story of which we're all involved. When you think about uh, the friendship of Charlie Pride and Farron Young, there was no reason why Farron Young, who was considered um, pretty tough and perhaps racist, who has this lifelong friendship with Charlie Pride and helps Charlie Pride negotiate, even in the 60s, a decade dedicated to change, what must have been a difficult passage for an African-American trying to bring it, break into country music despite his superb voice. You know, he ends up with 29 number one signals. He, uh, singles. He's the first person uh, of any color to win the CMA Artist of the Year Award two years in running, and, and he goes into the Hall of Fame with Fair and Young. To me, this is the story one. This is the story of our better angels, as Abraham Lincoln would say, that ought to be what we focus on today and not the divisions and how much we can label the other, you know, whether it's red state, blue state, young, old, rich, poor, north, south, whatever kind of divisions we're doing. We just don't. We don't need that. We're the, we're the same. Our aspirations are the same. And, and Hank Williams... Or, by, or, or Johnny Cash's song, I Still Miss Someone Gets Us, you know. At my door the leaves are falling, a cold wild wind will come, sweethearts walk by together. 
but I still miss someone. I go out on a party to look for a little fun, but I find a darkened corner because I still miss someone. You know, I mean, it's just, this is so elemental, and yet it's basic, straight to your heart. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you believe in, doesn't matter who you voted for, it doesn't matter. We are connected by this art form. And in fact, at one point, Wint Marsalis says in the film, we all have an ethnic heritage, but we have a human heritage that's much more important. And art tells the tale of us coming together. And in this case, without... um, Without any exception, the art is country music. I've got a few final questions, and we'll do these kind of in a speed round. So, because yep. uh, I just, I could do two hours with you, Ken, I'll be honest with you. So, okay, Porter Wagner and Dolly's relationship did not sound wonderful. Like, how can, I, how can you kind of clarify that? In, 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 you well, know? I, think it, I think it was wonderful, and I think she'd say it was wonderful, but at the same time, as his star was fading, hers was rising, he tried to hang on to her. And, you know, when you find out why she wrote, I Will Always Love You, it's a declaration of independence, and it's a really, really beautiful moment in the history of country music, and though um, Whitney Houston's version is considered the big breakout one, I, I don't think you'll ever hear Dolly's the same again. She's spectacular, and to me, not taking any Anything away from Whitney Houston, hers uh, just shoots right to the top, and it's it's you know it tells you that even in these conflicts, love uh, can reconcile everything. Is there a cooler country star ever than Dwight Yoakam? No. Dwight is pretty great. We, I interviewed him in the Capitol Records studios where Buck Owens and Maddox Brothers and Rose, I think, and, and certainly uh, uh, Merle Haggard recorded, and, and Dwight did too. And he was so knowledgeable, and he was so direct, and, and yet he breaks down and cries trying to get through a Merle Haggard song. He, he just would, would start singing uh, when he, need, he felt he could express something better. I think people are going to, their appreciation of Dwight Yoakam is just going to soar. He's an amazing human being. I got two more. Who do you say is the most reluctant country star? Really wasn't in it to be a star, and, but you just almost, they were undeniable and became a star anyway. Well, you know, it's all the way through. I mean, you could even look at Garth, right, who's got these mega shows and, you know, soaring through the air on wires like Peter Pan. But if you think about it, he's just this kid from Oklahoma, and he hears music on the radio, and he says, I, I want to do that. He fixes his, his, his sights on Nashville. He goes there. He's turned down by every record label and ends up, you know, basically with no options. And he's at the Bluebird Cafe, and he's playing. And one of the record executives who turned him down that week says, hmm, the reaction of the crowd here is pretty good. Maybe I'll give this kid a chance. And as he's starting out, um, his producer, Alan Reynolds, reminds him that he can't be anybody else. He can't imitate anybody else. There's only one Garth Brooks. You need to be that. And Garth is thinking, okay, uh, you know, the tendency is to want to fit into whatever the current commercial success is. But you're right. If, if I, I'd rather go down being myself than being trying to be somebody else. And, of course, he has been resolutely himself, being able to write those rollicking good time songs, but also really tear your guts apart with a, with a beautiful ballad, a beautiful love song, a, a hurt song, whatever it is. I, I'm not sure he's reluctant. I think he had his eyes on the prize. But it's so interesting how humble 
almost all the people I've met are in country music. Our last episode is called Don't Get Above Your Raisin, that old southern phrase, don't get too big for your bridges, don't forget where you've come from. And I don't think anybody I've met in country music has forgotten where they come from. And their obligation to the fans, unlike any other genre of music, you don't go up to Mick Jagger and say, hey, great second set, Mick. You don't get a chance to see Mick Jagger. But you do get a chance to see Garth Brooks because he goes to a fanfare he wasn't even invited to and stays there and signs for 20 hours. One of the best scenes in the film. All right, one final question. This is it. Has there always been a battle for what is, quote, unquote, real country? And, and that's a good, healthy thing. You know, it's like, what's America's true soul about? You know, and people say, oh, it's this, or no, it's that. It's, there should always be a battle. That's creativity. If it, if it gets stuck and we know what it is, then you know the record's skipping. And then you know it's just stuck in one place. And there'll always be an argument over the definition. What we wanted to say in this film is, it already starts out being many one things. At no given moment can you say, well, this is just country and that is not country. Sure, did it straight over the line and become more pop? Yeah, it did that. Did it, you know, was it at one time more country? I mean, more, yeah, more folk, excuse me. Yeah, it's, it's done that, but it, it, it doesn't really matter because it's struggling, like all art forms, to push the boundaries and to expand the art form. And at the end of the day, as, as Vince Gill said, all I've ever wanted out of music is to be moved. And that's what it's about. Uh, Tolstoy, the great Russian writer, said, uh, art is the transfer of emotion from one person to another. And I don't know an art form that does it better and quicker than country music. Well, let me tell you, my friend, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I, I love your work. It's, it's a real honor to be able to talk to you. Um, as we mentioned earlier, the eight-part, 16-hour series. And I'll be honest with you, I wish it was like 25 hours. I wanted to yeah, going, me too. Yeah, I was like, there's no way I'm going to take in 16 hours. By the end of it, I was like, I need another episode. Like, I need more of this. <laughs> so the eight-part, 16-hour series directed and produced by Ken Burns. Um, we're recording this. It actually starts tonight. So when you hear this, uh, it'll be rolling. You can uh, stream it on the PBS. Go to pbs.org or the app or episodes one through four on Sunday, September 15th through the 18th, and then five through eight, the 22nd to the 25th. And I, I just, uh, a lot of people are going to hear this, and I'm super excited to get you because for me, this was a soul filler. I, I loved it, I needed it, and I appreciated it, Ken. Well, Bobby, I'm happy that I got you. Uh, I think you offer us uh, the most uh, legitimizing microphone I could think of, and, and that's a big thing. And I think when you say to your legions of fans and listeners that this is something worthwhile, then our hearts rejoice. We humbly thank you for, for helping um, boost uh, our, our introduction of country music. And you're right. You can stream it uh, from PBS.org. You can get the first four episodes right now. And next Sunday, you can get all eight episodes at once. There's a companion book out. We've got unbelievable CD set from Sony, and Spotify has got an incredible, great playlist. Incredible yeah. playlist right now. So, you know, there's lots of ways to get it. But I'd start with the stories that are in the film because, like I said, it isn't just Dolly's "I Will Always Love You." But once you learn how she wrote it, it's going to change your relationship to that song, whether you've never heard it before, which might be two or three people in the universe, or you've heard it 10,000 times, it's still going to make it a different experience. When you come to town, Ken, I'd love to take you to dinner. I'd love to, to, to chop it up sometime and, and, and learn a whole lot more. So thank you for spending I, time I, with I, me. I'd love that, but I'm buying. All right, all right, fair enough. All right, Ken <laughs> Burns, good to see you, Ken. Talk to you, or good to talk to you. Talk to you soon. My pleasure. Right, thank bye you. Bye-bye, Ken. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell. 
host of Revisionist History, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.